welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, we are going over our Flip 5, Fold 5, and Watch 6 classic reviews, which are, as you listen to this, hopefully live on the site. Android 14 Beta 5 is now available, which puts us about a month away from the final release. And we have a couple of grab bag topics that we will hopefully get to at the end of the show. So joining me this week are Wagner. How are you? Freshly caffeinated, so I'm good. But I don't think we're going to have to wait a month in order to get Android 14's gener- uh, general release. Mm, maybe we can take bets. I'm okay with that. Bets on it. Oh. That voice that you hear is not Will Saddleberg, who's on vacation this week. It is Stephen Shank, AP's managing editor. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. God, should I be doing a Will impression? I hadn't prepared anything, but I might be so able to You just have to sound better. somewhat Canadian. <laughs> Uh, you have to really like Letterboxd and Avatar 2. Oh. The Way of okay. Water. Um, oh, no, that's, that's, a, that's a, hard, uh, a hard line for me there. I, I can't even feign no. enthusiasm <laughs> for that series. Alas. We'll maybe talk about some indie rock that uh, he's too young to actually have liked when it came out. And I am I'm too <laughs> uncool to uh, talk about with any sort of enthusiasm, but oh, man. He's like, do you, do you guys know Arcade Fire? <laughs> Uh, it's classic have you heard of rock. Arcade Fire. Like, yes, well, I know Arcade Fire. Oh God, that probably is on classic rock stations somewhere. So, Stephen, uh, we'll start with the Flip Five review. Yeah. You are currently finishing that up. It will likely be live on AP when this goes up on the feeds. So, last week we didn't talk at all about Samsung. We tried to give people a one-week break. Good lord! Now we're going back into it, but we have definitive feelings about these devices. What is your impression of the Flip 5? And just for context, most people, most sites, most creators have published their reviews saying the flex window, front display, whatever you want to call it, took them by surprise in how useful it was and how much it changed the dynamic of how you use the Flip series. Do you agree with that assessment? Oh, man, that's that's a complicated question. It's easily the most impressive thing here. I'm I'm really happy about it, but it's it's very, very frustrating at the same time when you try to get the most you can out of it. It's very much in, in development development here, if you will, that Samsung still needs to spend a lot of time tweaking the software, especially when it comes to running apps on it. The widgets uh, that are available work very, very nicely. I like having all of this space to do things with without having to flip the phone open. Honestly, the the design, I'm a huge fan of the improvement to the hinge. It looks a lot nicer. That said, I mean, the phone is, because it's, it's now fully closed, there's that much more intent required to open it. And with as thin as this thing is, when it's actually unfolded, I'm constantly afraid of the flip motion, just sending the phone careening out of my hand onto the ground. So not needing to do that. Oh, yes, I am convinced I'm going to throw this thing at some point. (laughs) But not having to do that and still being able to get a lot done on that cover screen, I I think, is is a big improvement. Would it be even better if it were a full-size screen, something Razer-style? 
Uh, I think that's a, not a hard argument to make here, but it's it's a, a big right. step forward. And I'm I think more than anything, just usually excited to see where this will go with the next generation when Samsung tweaks this idea of the big screen on the front and just makes it a little bigger, has the software working a little bit better on release. Then it's really going to be a winner for me. Oh, you're you're giving Samsung a lot of credit. <laughs> I was about to say. It's going to stay this way for at least three more years before hey, they on. give it another half an inch or so. It was such a big improvement, generation to generation here, four to five, that I don't know, yeah. keep the momentum going. But yeah, you're probably right. Well, I also think you're giving Samsung a little bit too much credit because this is a feature you have to jump through just so many hoops to set up. Even once you get it unlocked, you have so much you have to do in order to make this usable. Yeah. Um, and because it's good lock, it's not going to be available in all countries. Okay, yeah, that's the problem with the good lock and the apps that aren't officially supported here. It's a, it's a a spectrum of experiences of how well they work. Some, I mean, you, you would think that Samsung should have put them on that short list and, and got them approved straight away. Google Voice works fantastic on the screen. Um, I mean, you're replying to messages in general is a big uh, advantage of having this and having that full keyboard. So you're not just relying on voice input to, uh, to respond to people on the go. That's really, really nice. And having the full interface of an app like Google Voice on there when you're using uh, GoodLock and Multistar to get it up there, that one works really well. Then there are a lot, lot, lot of other apps that just don't know how to deal with this very limited screen real estate. I mean, it doesn't seem that small. It's like 720p square, I believe, are close to the dimensions here of this. But because of the pixel density, because of that weird notch in the corner, there's not a ton of room to work with. Some apps reduces the effective window to this tiny little sliver you end up scrolling by, where it's dominated by big bars on the top and bottom yeah. that are just eating up this space. So it's it, it's a real, real hit and miss. Yeah. and. I mean, we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago, but let's reiterate for people that hadn't heard that episode, what you have to do to get full size or regular apps working. So there are six apps or so that are allow listed out of the box. The there's, chosen few. Yeah, there's the Messages app, there's YouTube and Netflix, there's Maps, and what else? That's it, right? Mm -hmm. No, and I then think you're Spotify? Was there something? Yeah. Different? Spotify. Yeah. No, there, nope. no, no, no. Spotify doesn't work yeah. by default. But um, there, are, there are a few that have been given the green light to work on the cover screen as it is. And then if you go into GoodLock and you tap iHeart Foldable, <laughs> then that. you get to add a custom launcher, which is really just another widget. That's all it is. That you then enable every app you want and some of them work and some of them don't i was confused at first by having it on another screen it doesn't just add these to the existing list of apps you can use now you have two screens of apps so you have the original widget still engaged yeah it's like samsung can't help itself they have to provide two ways of doing yeah. something on every phone they release whether it's a good idea or not you need to have the galaxy store and the app store you need to have two music players and two calendars and two whatever it still happens today and somehow now they have this official list and then if you want to get dirty you get good lock and really i think if you enable good lock it should just consolidate everything into one place like let's not overcomplicate this and you know yeah. even with those official apps the experience i don't think is as universally great as it should be across them maps i had a lot of expectations for for me this is probably one of the most appealing apps to have on this screen 
And already it's cluttered in there. I mean, if you already have it set up for maybe you're walking directions or something and it's just, you know, tapping to move forward step to step, then it might make sense. But if you're trying to look up new directions or something like that, you run out of space on that tiny screen really, really fast. Yeah. So what apps are you using on the front? Like what actually has you excited? I mean, you said maps, you had expectations there, but of the ones that are available, of the ones that you use with good luck, like which ones do you find yourself using without opening the phone? Yeah, voice, absolutely. I was surprised, too good to go, worked reasonably well on there. Uh, I can browse for my uh, my cheap food really conveniently. <laughs> Dating apps do not work well. Uh, there was not room to see profile pictures on there and swipe right. You don't right. want to swipe good. right on this flex no, window. No, no, no. Honestly, I was really happy with like the video aspect. I mean, built in, you have YouTube and Netflix there, and they both work kind of well. Uh, with Netflix, I wish there were a smoother experience between transitioning between watching on the outer screen to an open to the inner and then going right to like casting to an exterior screen. Sometimes you're starting up the video over and over again, but just for like having it on the tabletop, you know, maybe cracked open a little bit. So have a little uh, display pointed at you while you, you know, enjoy a sandwich or something. You don't want to have your whole phone taken up countertop room. It works really, really well. It's surprisingly enjoyable. I found myself doing it a lot more often than I expected to. I'm kind of surprised they don't have the casting button built in on the outer screen control. Oh, I can't Because I feel like that's there. one of the- Samsung doesn't own casting and they don't no, want No, 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 but that would be a Netflix thing, not Samsung. Oh, like, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, does, does the YouTube app have that either? I don't even recall. I'm taking a peek here. <laughs> I will say, I am the only person on this podcast that has not gotten to play with a Flip 5, and I am very sad about that because I would love to see- I, I, I want to test all of the apps for cover screen support. I mean, I tried yeah. Kindle. Like, the first thing I wanted to do was just, like, see if I could read a book oh, God. on this, which I do a lot of. I do a lot of it on a big phone, on a small phone. It doesn't matter to me. I use Kindle. I use Libby. I use any app that I... And I thought, like, six months ago, I was very much a, no, I can only read books on my e-reader. But then I was like, in 2023, I'm going to make a concerted effort to read more and my main impediment was that I made this decision not to read on my phone for, quote, health reasons, right? Because I didn't want to stay, I didn't want to, like, be lying down in bed reading my phone. But you then I was your like, eyes to fall out as a result of this process. No, yeah, but your I, Kindle I, can live by your bed. Like, when you're out and about, That's what I, I mean, that's, that, that, exactly, that's what I did. But, what, but what, I, what I wanted to do, what I made a concerted effort to do was when I stopped using Twitter, I replaced the Twitter app with Kindle on my home screen. Okay. So that my, you know, monkey brain that once that, that muscle memory would just open go to the same. Kindle yeah. instead. And I would be like, oh, right, I should continue reading. And it, 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 it's worked fairly well. I still find myself like swiping to the other screen and opening up threads or Instagram or something. But I do read a lot more than I did a year ago. So I consider that a win. But I did want to see if the reading experience on here would be good. Like I'm often holding a child in one hand and having the ability to just have a compact phone that's less likely to fall out of my hand because it's a brick, it's closed, it's the, the balance is not off. That actually appealed to me. But when I started using it, I was like, no, this is not good. I don't want to read websites on this. I don't want to look at social media on this. I don't want to do anything that is really not just a big touch button or like touch area or 
something that I can quickly glance at, like a play pause situation. So did you try using any sort of messaging services with this? I and did, did and then every Google time- did you try Play Books? Did you only try Kindle, or were there any other reading apps that you tried? I didn't try Google Play Books because uh, nobody's ever tried <laughs> Google Play Books. But I think the reality is like, there are people that are going to sacrifice the experience of an app in order to make this work. And then there are others that are just going to not be bothered. And I got to the point where I was like, I can't be bothered. I just want to open my phone and use it. I mean, that's the good locks experience to a T. There, you can get a lot out of it if you put a lot into it and are willing to accept some sacrifices. But for a lot of people, they're just going to probably get frustrated and, and give up at some point. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you've used this phone now for a, a, a couple, what, weeks, a couple weeks. Yeah. How's battery life been for you? I've been really pleased with it. I am never a, a real heavy phone user. Um, I mean, I'm stuck at home all day. I'm not putting a big strain on the cellular modem. And I am usually moving between so many devices that I don't uh, have so much screen on time that it really drains one down. That said, I know everyone had really kind of pessimistic expectations going into this. And I think Samsung have they haven't made things worse. And if anything, it's a little bit better generation to generation here. I think just the the incremental improvements we see in processor efficiency, it's yeah, it's still a small battery, sub four thousand milliamp hours, but it gets me through the day and, and that's the bar at the end of the day. And it gets me through it. Wireless charging is convenient, um, even despite the small size. I haven't had any problems getting it to fit on, on my charging stands. And yeah, we wish that Samsung gave these foldables more serious wired charging uh, power input support. That said, uh, it's not really a problem. It charges fast enough for me uh, overnight. Um, so yeah, overall, I, I don't think it's the breaking point that a lot of people have been afraid of. If you are a heavy power user, yeah, you might run into issues if you have your screen on and you, you want to do six, seven hours. Uh, that could be a problem. But for casual users, I, I don't think anyone needs to fret about battery endurance on this thing. Interesting. Okay. What about the cameras? I mean, they're largely the same yeah. as last year, but have you had a good experience with them so far? The hardware isn't much to write home about. It's fine. It's better than fine. It's good. It's not great. I wish there were more lens options available. Give me some zoom I can work with here. Really, it's the software and, and kind of leaning into the screen hardware features of the device that really make this stand out, specifically being able to use that exterior screen as a viewfinder, either without opening device, which is one of my favorite things from uh, last generation, even with the you know, more limited screen space, or just, you know, flipping the phone open and, and just you know, having the whole thing, you can just turn it around while you're in the middle of shooting regular photographs, use that cover screen as your viewfinder pop a quick selfie off with the quality of your full camera. And it's just a little bit better than you get normally. I think it, it just elevates the experience and it makes you feel like you're doing more with your phone than other people are capable of doing with theirs. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think that has been the value prop for flip foldables, clamshell foldables since day one is that you don't have to take a shitty selfie cam photo if you don't want to and this with the bigger screen like you get to preview it in a way that's not just a little thumbnail and in general you're going to get a good photo even if the sensors aren't the best samsung has ever released in a phone you're going to get a better front-facing photo Absolutely. out of these yeah. 
out of the main camera here. I was also impressed with some of the processing improvements that Samsung has managed to eke out of the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 compared to the previous Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 in the Fold and Fold 4 and Flip 4, uh, the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 rather. So I at first wasn't really able to notice much of a difference. And then Danny Winget posted his video on YouTube comparing the Fold 4 and Fold 5 and then the Flip 4 and Flip 5. And that was a, quite revelatory. It was a little bit more of a, hey, you have to zoom in, you have to pixel peep. But then I did the same on my Fold 4 and Fold 5. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is significant. Like there's considerably more detail when you zoom in, okay, the dynamic range has been improved in many situations. Low light and performance has been improved in a, in many situations. There's just overall, you're getting a cleaner shot out of this, and by no means is it going to completely change your mind. No, our expectations are just so high, right? But you'll get a better, cleaner, more balanced photo most of the time, and that's important. So, I think there's something to be said for samsung iterating in a way that just cleans up the mistakes of the previous generation and it leaves you with something that feels very mature but it also matures sort of at the end of the line right like despite the new hinge which i want to talk about in a second despite the front display this does feel like a very mature product that there's not a whole lot more they can do with it. That's sort of been a, a common refrain in conversations around this generation of, of foldables, not just the, the flip, but also the, the Fold 5, in that it feels like there's nowhere to go from here, no obvious way to, I mean, sure, with the, the flip, that was an easy thing. We have this screen that's not filling up space here. We'll just expand it. But for Generation 6 now, where do we go? dust proofing we could fix you know speed up the charging but there's not like a big obvious design and feature improvement that i think these phones are asking for now so that's you know generating a lot of questions does samsung start from the ground up do we do some i mean companies have been showing us wild ideas for foldables going back a decade now we always wonder when i'm going to get that scrollable phone you know the expanding ones I really hope that Samsung doesn't go back to square one because I really like where how polished things have gotten by this point, how it feels like these are phones you can recommend to your, your at your mainstream phone audience. These aren't and they're still super expensive, but they're not as fragile as they had been to the point where you need to be willing to lose this kind of money to even consider playing this game. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what Samsung would necessarily where, where the, the smart move is to go from here. What do you guys think? I would like to see more form factors explored for foldables. I don't think they're going to have to go back to square one with every new format that they come with nowadays. Because now that we've had two styles of foldables, I feel like Samsung and other companies have a better idea of, okay, here's where the bar is. Here's where we need to get before we could even consider releasing this to the public. So I think we're going to have less of the, oh, you're blowing $2,000 on a phone, and it definitely will not be a long-lasting or super high-quality device the way you would with like the Z Fold, uh, original Z Fold or C Flip. I think next year there are things that I would absolutely improve about this. Obviously, better camera. I, I think even though it's fine, it's still not even Fine is not good enough for a $1,000 phone. Flagship <laughs> level. 
I, I just think there's there's like that's the one area where Samsung yeah. could definitely invest a little bit more. Putting a bigger display or you know, reducing the bezels, as you said, the way that Mo- Motorola did with the Razer Plus, putting a 120 LTPO panel on the front so that it's not so stark between the external and internal. Again, it would you would get better battery life because you can reduce the frame rate to one hertz and Ideally, it would be a more expensive part, but it would save money in the long run. The hinge, I think, is fine now in terms of it's not crunchy anymore, which I, I don't know if you recall, Stephen, but like the Fold 4 and Flip 4, when you open it, it crunches a little bit as you're <laughs> getting to full uh, extension. Yeah, it's disconcerting. It does make you feel like you get used to it, but it does make you feel a little bit cringy. So that's been removed. But I, the, the thing that I really noticed about the Flip 5 was how prominent the crease was. Really? And I still get distracted by it when I use the phone. Yeah, even just when I'm scrolling, I feel the crease. It's not that I see the crease, yeah. but I feel it, and that bothers me. I was worried about that going into the Flip 4 was my first you know, really long-term experience with a, a foldable, and I was ready to hate that and found myself forgetting about it by day two or three with the five i've you know, visually noticed it a few times i've definitely felt it more like you've mentioned but i feel like i sort of self-correct to at least apps where the ui makes it possible i guess find myself swiping on different parts of the screen sort of like avoiding that tactile iffiness there in the middle yeah i agree so that's the flip five as a preview for people who may hear this before it goes live on the site, what are you giving it as a, a score out of 10? Okay, oh, I haven't narrowed it down to the number yet. It's going to be high. I'm, I'm generally very happy with things. It's just a matter of Samsung could have done a little more, but uh, mm. no, it's, it's going to be a positive review. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's move on to the Fold 5. So Will reviewed this earlier in the week. You know, obviously, like everybody else, he's come to the same conclusion that while this is a fantastic product. It's still too expensive. This is even more iterative than the Flip 5. He gave it an 8 out of 10, which, uh, you know, spoiler generous. Alert. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I don't know if, if that was the right number. I would say more of a 7.5. But it's a very mature product, right, at this point. I'm not sure what else Samsung can do here. Again, besides improve the cameras and overhaul the form factor itself, which we're talking aspect ratio. We're talking just making it a fundamentally different phone. Yeah, that's been a big part of the experience. I think I've I've uh, read about from people who have used this and other devices of that same sort of book style form factor. Is there's a lot of preference when it comes to the minutia of the the aspect ratio of of how big that exterior screen is, how they're going to hold the device when it's open, and I don't know that there's a clear consensus yet of how users as a whole really like that. Yeah. Well, I think Samsung should try to find a place to stow away the S Pen would be my big ask for a next-gen fold. But then it wouldn't be able to sell you a $100 oh case. So yeah, I want to talk about that because I got a review unit with the $100 S Pen case and I installed it. Now, as somebody who changes phones a lot, I hate having to use foldable cases that with the adhesive there is adhesive so much because you end up having to remove it, which is not a problem most people are going to have, but it's something that I obviously contended with. So, you know, put it in, put the case on, take the adhesive off, whatever. It's great, but it's bulky. 
it's bulky. And I don't, even with the slim down S Pen adding functionality, I do not want to use a foldable with a case, period. That's interesting. Will was saying how this generation, Samsung had made the phone itself thin enough to the point where that he finally felt comfortable having it with a case, but it sounded like it was right down to the edge of where this was even, you know, approaching comfortable. Totally. I mean, it's, when it's open, it's very thin, but when it's closed, it's still 13 millimeters. And then you're adding four or five millimeters with the case. It's bulky. It's thick. So it's not about heaviness because the case itself this is this phone's 10 grams lighter than the Fold 4. So it does feel noticeably lighter, but when you add a case to it, it feels chunky, especially when you're just putting it into pocket. It's sort of when you want to put in like your jacket pocket rather than your pants pocket. Right. Yeah. And I agree with you that it would be nice to find a place for the S Pen inside, but then you also have to worry about battery which oh, yeah. would have It'll be a trade-off. would likely be affected. The Will says that the battery is good but unpredictable which I found the same thing with the Fold 4. There's some days where I had great battery life, other days I didn't. He got some surprisingly inconsistent results there. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It seems like I've had no issues with Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 phones, but the fact that this is 15% or so smaller than an S23 Ultra is significant. And I think it, it shows given that you have massive displays, you have two displays, it all just adds up, right? It's a power-hungry beast. I don't think there's much else to say about this phone. It does everything well. I still don't like the aspect ratio. I don't love typing on a split keyboard on a big foldable. Uh, that's true of all big foldables. But I also hate typing on the front display, whereas I think <laughs> if you have a Pixel Fold or a Find N2, you don't have that issue because the front display is the right aspect ratio. Yeah, it's too narrow you here. keep it closed. So you're opening this phone a lot, whereas on a Pixel Fold, and I was listening to the Waveform podcast about this exact thing the other day, where most of the people using the Pixel Fold there barely open it. They use oh, the front display like 80 to 85% of the time, and then only when they need a tablet do they open the big display. And I think that is the right way to approach this, is that you are obviously paying a premium here. But if your front display does the job and the phone isn't too thick, then you can just get away with using it most of the time. And then you're like, oh, but I'm reading now or, oh, but I'm multitasking and I have Slack and a Google Doc open. Like there's moments where you're like, this is actually additive. And because you have a, a wider display, you can have two full size apps side by side. And on the Galaxy Z Fold, you can't really do that because it's taller than it is wide. We didn't talk about Aspect when we were touching on the Flip 5, but I don't love Samsung's choice there either. This phone is very, very tall when unfolded. If you have smaller hands, it's going to be a bit of a reach. I found it wouldn't even fit in, like, the charging pouch on my motorcycle. It's, like, a centimeter too tall, which is an arbitrary yeah. limit, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, a, it's a tall phone. I mean, I think it yeah. has to be to make sense with... It would look really weird if it were a, uh, an even wider. It does look kind of squat when it's folded up. So I, I understand why this decision was made, but mm -hmm. be aware. Yeah, I, I found it a little uncomfortable as well. But then again, it comes back to you want to make a big display on the front. You yeah. need as much vertical room there as possible. You want, you want a hinge that has enough room. You want as much vertical space there as well. So, all right. Taylor, finally, he reviewed the Watch 6 Classic. 
He liked it a lot. He gave it an 8.5, gave it our most wanted award. This is a very iterative improvement over the Watch 5 series from a performance perspective, but two gigs of RAM now gives us a little bit more breathing room, some new sensors. Obviously, it's a little bit bigger, so 43 and 47 millimeters as opposed to 42 and 46 compared to the Watch 4 Classic. We have a slightly faster SoC with the Exynos W930. We don't know exactly what improvements there are. Yeah. It's still a dual-core 1.4 gigahertz chip. No, these are our first devices we've seen using it. I was going to say, the, the processor change is not as significant as the RAM upgrade. Yeah, exactly. Because the and RAM we, just, you feel like everything, you can notice that things are faster on the Watch 6 than they were on the Watch 5. I think it is the first new silicon we've seen in a couple of years. Didn't both the 5 and 4 use the 920? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so just, I'm, I'm happy that they're at least moving forward there. Uh, I used the uh, the 6 Classic for a few days. I had not used a, a Samsung wearable since the, the 4 series, and I was really happy with it. Uh, even I had the, mm-hmm. the big one, uh, the 47, and I got tiny wrists, and I was worried it was going to be a horrible experience. It wasn't. I got really used to having that gigantic screen. Battery life was phenomenal. Oh my god. Yeah, no. I have the six and that review should hopefully be up by the time that you listen to this podcast as well. Uh but yeah, I've consistently gotten like one and three quarter days or two days yeah. out of the watch between charges. Although I will confess that has been without doing any like super strenuous workouts because I haven't had time to get out of the apartment. That's uh, fair. I didn't do any like GPS tests with it in the short time I was playing. I've with been it. to the parks a couple of times with it on. Okay. So I I've done like five miles of walking with it on. So one thing that Taylor noticed was the display was much brighter than the previous generation. It goes up to two thousand nits max brightness. That's a big jump, especially if you're outside in the sun. Are are you noticing? that it's considerably easier to see in direct sunlight? I don't know if the regular 6 got the same brightness bump, but it is definitely so much easier to use in, like, full sun. Like, Mm. on the Watch 4 and Watch 5, there would occasionally be times where I'd have to, like, you know, cut my hand over the watch to, like, peek at something. And I absolutely do not have to do that with this watch. The only complaint I have with the screen on this watch is I wish that One UI watch would get the feature that One UI has of uh, extra dim. Because the screen doesn't get dim enough when it's like 2 a.m. and I'm checking my watch to see whether or not my insomnia is too far along in order for me to actually get a decent amount of sleep tonight. Mm. But yeah, no, the screen has been great. I'm happy that we're getting basically bigger screens and the same size watches because the bezel's just shrunk. Although it's only like a 0.15 or 0.19 millimeter change in the size of the actual like touch screen. It makes the watch feel cleaner, and it just makes interacting with the watch better. The 6 doesn't have the rotating bezel, but even just dragging your finger around the edge for the um, haptic bezel is much smoother and more consistent on the Watch 6 than it was on previous generations. That's good to hear. On on the 4, I hated that. that. That's that's a win. I hated it on the 4, too. It's what got me stopping using it. Yeah, I just Um, started swiping. So, (laughs) basically. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's absolutely perfect. I think that there should be a setting where you can control the speed at which the haptic bezel scrolls because it'll still scroll like way too fast if you try and do it haphazardly. But it works more consistently. It's not like, oh, I'm swiping the edge of the bezel, but I'm not quite to the digitizer. So in terms of the One UI watch, One UI watch experience or Wear OS 4, what are you seeing in terms of overall differences between that and the Watch 5 series? I'm not sure how much of the 
smoother performance I'm supposed to chalk up to the hardware changes and how much I can chalk up to further efficiency in the software. But it is a, a smoother experience. Um, I will say most of the software, all, all, I want to say almost all of the software changes and new features that are in the Watch 6, I think all of those except maybe the watch faces are getting backported to the 5 and the 4. Yeah, I mean, they will come, but no, right now they're not there yet. Yeah. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but it doesn't feel like there's anything like super duper new. I'm just happy that one UI watch is better integrated and it has more f of like useful little features than the Pixel Watch. So I'm still very happy with the Galaxy Watch and the Galaxy Watch is... Uh, oh, I love the new bands. Yeah, I wanted oh. to talk about that last. So yes. the new mechanism is interesting because it supports these proprietary bands that Samsung's releasing, but it does not force you to use them. It's still a regular still set of 20 millimeter lugs. Yeah, it's still like, I, I want Samsung's new mechanism to become the industry standard instead of just like those itty bitty little spring pins that you have to like hold open with your fingernail while you're trying to fiddle around with the watch. Gives you a nice like big it, button you can really get yes. a feel on. You're not like straining to get some sort of purchase. Yeah, no. It's much better from an accessibility standpoint for anybody who has like arthritis mm -hmm. or um, fine motor control issues, but also just makes swapping the watches much easier and much more fun. So I'm very much hoping that this is a design that is imitated by competitors soon. But yeah, no. Swapping from the silicone band in the box to the fabric band that I got because Samsung sent me the cream fabric band with my Watch 6. Uh, did your 6 Classic come with uh, any of the other bands or just the standard one? Uh, just the one. Ah. You know, I, I got to say, I remember, I'm feeling a little embarrassed, back when the Pixel Watch came out, I was singing the praises of that weird, like, bayonet style slide to the side <laughs> connector like oh this is so ingenious it feels so secure and easy to swap no 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 no. It's compared no, no. to samsung that, uh, that aged very poorly but it also it i think people realized it. it was similar to the chromecast with google tv when everybody praised it during the review period and then realized just how badly it's gonna age because a few times removing and replacing bands on the pixel watch those bands become loose AF. And do. now I'm in a situation where I can barely, like it, it's, it's uncomfortable because it keeps moving around uh, while I'm uh. wearing it. And it's just not a good long-term solution. And yet I think Google's stuck with it because unless you're doing what Samsung's doing and just modifying standard lug designs, which they're not, you're forced to iterate on this year after year. I mean, Apple must have spent years designing the original connectors for the Apple Watch because they haven't needed to change it out in almost 10 years now. So I think Google's kind of in a between a rock oh, and a hard place. I would place. not be surprised to see Google just completely drop the design and leave everyone in a lurch. That doesn't seem I don't think they're going to do that. I, even, even Google's not going to do that. It depends, but I don't think we're going to see a connector change for the Pixel Watch 2. Hopefully for the 3, it'll have been long enough and the watch bands will have been around for long enough for the older models that Google can be like, okay, we've had two years of this, there's enough bands out there for these people, and now we can go to a design that is slightly more ubiquitous and much more consistent. Like, I really wish that the Google Pixel Watch could kind of combine these new straps from Samsung with the like Moto 3, uh, like original Moto 360 style of having the pins like up and underneath, but they were standard pins. 
Well, I'm just remembering now, I, I never got a chance to try it myself, but there have been a, quite a few like adapters where you can basically just buy a leather strap and, and it has the pins. You can just pop that little bit onto the Pixel Watch and then use other, you know, standard size straps that'll fit into that. That's like people that put cases on their watches. Oh, God. <laughs> I should <laughs> I, have done that. I, I dinged I, mine I don't up, get but, it. Uh, no, it's such a weird idea. Anyway, I, I think this is a nice upgrade. Obviously, it's expensive. The Watch 6 Classic is, is pricey. And I think you'll get discounts on the Watch 6 fairly quickly. It'll go down to like 250 or 280 Well, they basically already have that because any smartwatch, any condition gets you $50 off for the uh, 6. And I think it's $75 off for the big one, maybe. Or I might be misremembering that number. $50 but, on... Uh, trade-in. Like yeah. any smartwatch, any condition. Like if you have an old, like non-functional Pebble, you can still trade oh, that God. in and get fifty dollars. I have an unopened red Pebble Time, which I wow. believe is a collector's item yeah, now. Yeah, that. no, so, don't trade that. I'm not going to trade that. Although I'm sure I, there's like an old janky Wear OS two watch that you could trade. So I was joking about this in the Slack when everybody in the U.S. Uh, on the AP team was like saying exactly what you just said. Oh, I'm getting fifty dollars for a shitty nothing fitness band yeah. or smartwatch that nobody wants anymore and then in canada i was like i wonder what samsung will give me for my watch four which is less than two years old and i put it in and they gave me zero dollars <laughs> for the watch four so thanks a lot Ouch. for that yeah not not a great trade-in system here well i think only america got the good trade-in values for watches because i want to say like even zkd was complaining about how pitiful watch trade-in values were in the uk yep but i mean this is also just basically samsung's way of like trying to recycle i want to say this is as much samsung trying to be like oh we're about recycling than it is anything else because th this is the same thing that they do on all of their earbuds like pretty much all of uh for galaxy buds 2 galaxy buds 2 pro they always have a any headphones, any condition, like fifty dollar trade in. God, I do not want to think about recycling things that go in my ear. Oh, I mean, God. it all has to get broken down at some point anyway. I know, I know, but ugh, got the willies. So Samsung releases this press release the other day saying that the Galaxy Z Flip and Z Fold Five series use the most amount of post consumer recycled materials ever. And then they're claiming that it's now up to 10% of post-consumer recycled plastic. And I'm like, is that really a number that you should be trumpeting as a success? 10%? Yeah. I kind of got into that on their cases too, because they were like touting the eco leather and the eco leather case is 1% bio-based and, oh and is like 15% post-consumer recycled plastic. That's like when you buy juice boxes for your kids. Yeah. It's like 10 in tiny little juice. fine print. It's like, oh, juice, and then like, yeah, 4% yeah. real juice. And it's like, what else is like what else is in there? Is it literally just sugar and water? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the answer is yes, but they shouldn't be allowed to get away with that. I would believe that Samsung, I uh, mean, that, the, that these figures are industry leading, that Samsung has a legitimate reason, maybe, maybe to be promoting these. But that said, I mean, you're right. These are not exciting figures. They are not making any substantive impact. Um, I mean, we've had this great I article mean, any about amount of recycled anything in a phone or a case is like less virgin plastic being sure used every little bit. Absolutely. Every little bit helps. I just don't think this is something you can really tout like with press releases. Mm -hmm. Agreed.
Okay. Watch six. Good. Very good. Solid update. Everybody's enjoying it, but it's not going to rock your world unless you're like upgrading from, you know, an old, like somebody I think was, was upgrading from like a galaxy watch three frontier edition. Okay. You know, yeah. that's a you big might upgrade. Notice, uh, yeah, a little performance boost. You're going from bit. Tizen, in that case, to Wear OS. Well, they so, were giving $100 off the Watch 6 if you traded in a Galaxy Watch Active 2. I love that little thing. I loved it. I miss that. Like, if Samsung is going to do, like, a small watch and a big watch, I would love, like, one year for them to do a Galaxy Watch Active instead of, like, either a Pro or instead of the regular one, because that form factor was the best it was so compact it is the best small smartwatch i've ever used yeah i love that thing it was it was fantastic okay let's get into some of the other news for this week we're not going to talk about the tabs because nobody cares about the tablets that's not actually true they're fine they're big they're expensive if you're buying a tab s9 like you're buying a tab s9 go read the site we have a review there but we're not gonna we're not gonna linger on those Let's talk about the other news of the week. So Google is now enabling RCS by default for messages users that are preloaded with the Google Messages app. This is new. Previously, it was a opt-in enrollment. Right. This was next step. It had to happen eventually. It did. Uh, but still, it's a big move. And I think it will, like with iMessage back in the day, it will surprise some people to realize that they are using RCS. I think... Google needs to do a better job educating people about what the benefits of RCS are. And, and not in a way that's just attacking Apple constantly. I think they need to get their messaging on this clear from like their politicizing of the whole RCS versus iMessage debate. From their perspective, it's RCS and iMessage. Oh my God. There's no, I mean, it's true. <laughs> like Apple is grandstanding in a lot of ways too here. So there's no reason to deny the use of RCS. It's an open standard. It does not mess with iMessage. In my opinion, it doesn't make iMessage less sticky. No, there's no good reason. It's, there is no good reason, but there's no bad reason. And then therefore they're not going to do it, right? It's like dividing by zero. Hmm. So you just end up in a situation where Apple's obstinacy stands in the way of legitimate encrypted communications proliferating across North America. And that's a problem, but whatever. I'm on the side of open standards here. I think it's no skin off Apple's back to implement RCS. They can still keep it green. There's no reason to like mess with the design aspect of it. But the only thing that you get are read and write receipts. You get to send higher quality messages and video, higher quality photos that's and video. That's the big one, yeah. And you get encrypted messaging, which is what the whole point of RCS is in the first place. It wasn't encrypted by default, but now it is. And it's just more secure. So anyway, that is what it is. But now you get to use it automatically. So if your aunt buys an Android phone, has no idea what RCS is, and you have an Android phone, you're just going to start communicating with RCS. And you don't have to explain what it is to her either. Yes. That's, that's the hardest part of any transition like that. Exactly. You can just say it's like iMessage for Android, though. There you go. Man, but I gotta say, Google needs to give RCS to voice. I know that's the redheaded stepchild of Google's messaging solutions. Oh, God. But Nobody I, cares about I, voice except I you, Steven. Oh, carrying a torch. I know. It's like there's dozens of us. Like you are, 
Dozen strong. Yeah, you are. You uh, are uh, what's his name? Michael. Tobias. David Cross, Arrested Development. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Never nudes. Never, exactly, never nude. I understand more than you'll never know. So Android 14 is coming in lurching fits and starts. We have Android 14 Beta 5 available for Pixel phones. We also have the first Android 14 Beta for S23 users with the One UI 6 Beta. That launched literally this morning as we're recording this on Friday. It was supposed to launch yesterday. Samsung then pulled it and then I guess reissued it. Not exactly sure what happened I don't think we can say there. that they pulled it because it never actually went live. It's that they told everybody that it was coming and then it didn't go live. Sorry, you're right. Pulled it, it from- It was a fake out. Yeah. This whole week has been full of Samsung not being fully ready to hit go on this well, until now. Yeah. So there aren't a ton of user-facing changes that we can see so far. We're going to have an article on the site as you hear this, where we go over all of the changes, so we're still discovering them right now, but suffice to say, the, one of the big ones is the quick settings overlay is redesigned. So you get a, a nicer quick settings panel, your notifications look a little bit different, that's more easily customizable. It does look a bit iOS-y, in my opinion. A little bit, mm. but I wanna see if good luck can tamp that down a little bit more as well. Although I, I just have to say, I. I'm so sad that I don't get to try, try the beta because I, I bought a carrier version of the S23 and that means that I can't get the beta. But the new quick setting stuff, I should not be as excited about that as I am, but I just use quick settings so much on my phone these days. Oh yeah, days. no, that's reason to be excited. So I'm very much looking forward to that and having the notification panel be a little less of a mess. Also interesting, a new default font, which I think they haven't updated the default font on Samsung phones since One UI launched in 2018. I, say, I couldn't think of the last time I saw it. So like it's been five years. I don't know. I, I'm trying to see what the font is. I can't tell just by looking at it. It's not Roboto. It's probably like a Samsung Sans or something, or like a Samsung Sans 2 electric boogaloo. <laughs> but it looks fine. I don't know. It seems readable enough. It didn't look drastically different in the screenshots that we've seen so far. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it does just have a couple of minor Samsung specific updates, but obviously with Android 14 as the underlying software base, you get improved security, you get a better share sheet, you get regional per app settings, which is was supposed to launch with Android 13 and got deferred, uh, a bunch of other stuff as well. So if you're looking forward to Android 14, you might be one of the first people in the world to get it if you have a Samsung phone uh, and you're in the US, Germany, the UK and South Korea. I didn't think That's the UK was on that Was it not list. UK? No. I it thought it was Germany, just the US, U Germany, and South Korea. Yeah, yeah. And apparently you have to have an unlocked phone. You have to have an unlocked or a T-Mobile phone. Uh -huh. okay. Because Why I think T-Mobile is basically... Well, T-Mobile I think is basically unlocked. Oh, yeah. And they just so have the splash screen. US, Germany, and South Korea. Okay. I'm sure they'll expand it to other regions by the end of the beta period. Well, and it needs to expand to other phones. And more devices, I think literally yeah. it's just the S23 right now. Mm. Hopefully we'll see that situation improve in the, uh, in the weeks to come. Okay, a couple other small things. Android 14 will make scrolling in Chrome as smooth as it is in iOS. I don't really know what to make of this, to be honest. I've never thought of Chrome as being particularly janky. That said, I'm never really overwhelmed by how smooth the experience of scrolling in general is on Android. I always feel like yeah, there's room it, for improvement, so this is promising. Yeah. I agree with that. I think it's 
one of those things where Android has always lagged behind. Yeah. It goes back to its days as a non-touchscreen foundation uh, operating system. And iOS was always capacitive first, touch first, native. This is good news, but it applies to Chrome. Yeah, Chrome only. alone. This is just browsing. <laughs> Chrome alone. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Um, that would be an interesting movie. Sorry, Macaulay Culkin. Oh, and heavy branding. Uh, hey, Google, begin Operation Kevin. Operation I love this. Okay, here's my big part. Watch. Better get out of here before somebody sees us. Ah! I mean, this this does reference that there is a Android 14 API that's involved in this, which I hope will be available for other apps at some point. But Chrome might be the only one taking advantage of it right now. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a nanosecond API. Right. It's part of AOSP, but it's only coming to Android 14. So this won't just affect Chrome itself. It'll affect Chromium-based browsers. So any any browser that uses the underlying Chrome fr- Chromium framework uh, will will benefit from this. So any app that is our web wrapper is about to get smoother. Yeah, that's that's true. And so many are, right? Yeah, Basically, that's... every app that you can get a web browser for that's not like Opera or Brave or... What are the other big ones these days? Firefox is Chromium-based, isn't it? I think, I think so. so. Yeah, I think they moved over to Chromium. Maybe even Brave is too. I'm not sure. Maybe Opera is the only one with its own rendering engine these days. That rebel. <laughs> well, they're also like big into crypto these days too. So Opera seems to be running its own thing. Okay, OnePlus is ready to make a splash. This is our our title for an article. OnePlus is ready to make a splash with a touchscreen you can actually use while wet. So, Stephen, walk us through this because this is kind of interesting. It's launching on a very low-end OnePlus phone that won't come to the U.S., but it's got something called Rainwater Touch Tech. This is a case where we're just latching on to this one particular aspect of the uh, the tech behind this phone. We would love to see this on, on other devices because... I'm sure as as anyone uh, who's tried using their phone in a downpour is aware that touchscreen quickly becomes inoperable. Our phones can tolerate getting wet really, really well these days, but using one while it has any significant amount of moisture on it quickly becomes a non-starter. So I'm not sure if they've revealed the actual uh, talk about how this is working. They're talking about some new algorithms that it can use, to, I guess, to reject false touches. Uh, I wonder if it's using any special sensing technology in addition to that, but this sounds... It says it's custom chipset in addition to three core yeah, the... touch algorithms. So it sounds like it's rejecting the conductive or capacitive input that doesn't seem like, you know, cat-like typing detected. This is water-like touches detected. And in theory, if this works well, it sounds like you could be able to use your phone, well, I like, not just in the rain, but in the shower, in the shower. Are making, making fun of me for this on slack i don't think i'm weird for being able to want to interact with my phone while i'm you know taking a nice shampoo just getting my soak on uh i hate you know trying to change my music with voice commands or anything like that so just being able to have a touch screen to interact with i think would be a huge step up quality of life wise i don't know when we could hope to see this on a phone we're getting in the west but i would love to try this out i mean just it being tried on a phone that is actually being sold to the public somewhere is exciting. Yeah. You have to test this out, and obviously you need to test this out with a phone that isn't, like, flagship-worthy first. I'm happy that they're testing it out with a smaller device, even if it isn't coming to the U.S. 
Because this is the kind of technology that is like, there are definitely people who would be like, I would buy a phone with that. Yeah. I mean, it's basically the macro sensor of touchscreen improvements. It's a way for OnePlus to sell a shitty, cheap value, like budget phone with like something that's, you know, <laughs> excuse the pun, like splashy on a marketing womp, womp. Uh, pitch. Womp, so. Womp. I agree, but it's not. I, I think it's it's interesting. I think eventually this will just come to all phones. It's probably the chipset that they're referencing is probably not something particularly expensive. Qualcomm will likely just suck it up into the next release of whatever chip that they release. Um, but I like the fact that we can now distinguish between different types of touch on a display. Palm rejection is now way better than it was five years ago. So. Uh, it's probably something similar to that. So yeah. All right. Last thing on the list is the Pixel Watch 2. So we oh, got yeah. a big leak from Android Authority. There are a number of changes happening to the Pixel Watch 2 that we I think we've talked about in the pr in a previous episode, but uh, we now know that it's using a Snapdragon W5 Gen 1 chip, which is going to be much, much, Good. much more efficient than yeah, the, the Exynos chip that debuted on the Pixel Watch, which was I think used back in a Galaxy Watch in 2018. It was used in the Galaxy Watch Active. Yeah, I mean that's that's an old old boy. So and not just more efficient processing. We also heard this rumor that mentioned a bigger physical battery as well. Oh yeah, yeah. The I mean this is only a four percent bump, but anything we'll take it. Like I think an efficient processor and a slight battery bump with a display that's the same size, though they're claiming that it might be a slightly more efficient display, we're definitely going to get better battery life. I mean, if Google can't eke out half a day more from the Pixel Watch 2 uh, with that combination, then something's terribly wrong. I, I think the Pixel Watch had a lot of places it could improve upon things, but if there's any one that I'm going to get, it's going to be power. I want this to last longer. There's an ultra-wideband chip here, which could be interesting. Your ability for your watch and your phone, or your watch and your tablet, or your watch and you know, a Nest Hub Max to talk to one another or whatever, Pixel tablet, anything that has an ultra wideband chip, mm. your watch should be able to get near it and share data. We have Wear OS 4, which debuted on the Galaxy Watch 6 series. So it's going to look a little different on the Pixel Watch, but the underlying software is Android 13 based, which is good. I think this is going to be a market improvement. This will be something that a lot of people look forward to. The Pixel Watch sold well, I think better than Google expected it to, but it's still a flawed, deeply flawed yes. phone, a flawed smartwatch that we, even with the discounts that you saw over Prime Day or even now, like it's still hard to recommend. It's hard to recommend at I its mean, listing price. But especially this close to the next generation. Oh, well, for sure. I mean, I wouldn't recommend yeah. it now, but I'm saying like at 250, it's still hard to recommend. Yeah, yeah you're not wrong. The most basic thing a watch has to do is be able to stay on your wrist. And that is something we absolutely cannot trust the Pixel Watch to do. Like, that is one of the most fundamental things. But it once looks you nice. swap the band, like, once or twice, I think even if you just use it for a number of months with the default band, the connector just gets loose over time. Oh, mine's a little wiggly, but I'm not, like, I don't feel like it's going to fall off my wrist at any moment. It's, it's, it's not the best from, like, a quality perspective, but... And some people's might be a lot worse. Yeah, I didn't get, I, I don't get this impression that it'll just like fall off, but I definitely feel it wiggling around. 
I think so. I might also just be in the camp of like Fitbit Charge 5 and other like Fitbits and uh, fitness trackers where they had a proprietary band and the system just didn't work and things would fall out. And I feel a little... You've been like, burned too many times. Little, I've been burned too many times. <laughs> and I feel like the Pixel Watch is just like so close to that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've been working on this for years. It's not, it's not okay. And I mean, they could make improvements to the same mechanism that would make it to where like bands fit in better while keeping the same like general design or at least being still compatible with the original bands. Yeah, there some like tensioning element. This. I don't know. Yeah. So there are ways to improve that. We haven't heard anything about them or seen anything about them yet, but they could be there. One thing we didn't talk about last week, but it did launch in early August, was the upcoming Fitbit app redesign. So along with Pixel Watch 2, the Fitbit app will get redesigned. Obviously, Google is leaning on Fitbit for its fitness integration with the Pixel Watch. We don't know if the Pixel Watch will have markedly better fitness tracking or whether automatic fitness detection will be there, but it has to be, right? It's kind of crazy that part of the reason I also can't recommend the Pixel Watch over the Galaxy, it's that you have to pay for Fitbit Premium and Samsung Health is free. Well, and they have roughly the same amount of confidence in like the step tracking and the heart rate tracking. That's true. And neither of them are as good as the Apple Watch. No. So there's a long so way So why to would go. you pay X dollars mm-hmm. a month for it when you could get that for free? Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. And I think a much better experience with Samsung, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, that app I don't app like is... Samsung Health. I think oh. Samsung Health is still a mess. I like it so much better than Fitbit. On the watch, it can be a bit convoluted. On the phone, it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, fair enough. All right, that is it. We are going to keep it to a tight one hour. So thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. We'll have you on again. Outstanding. Ara, hope you have a good weekend. I hope so, too. I get to play tour guide tomorrow for my little sister and her fiance. Oh, that's nice. Fun. Yes. Enjoy that. All right, if you have any feedback for us, send it to podcast at Android Police. We love hearing from you. We are likely going to go back into the rumor cycle starting next week lots of android 14 stuff coming up and we're going to be previewing pixel there's a ton more to come and if there's a slow news week we will find some nostalgia we'll to make uh, some to stuff make you feel old no. with or we'll or that <laughs> why not um we'll just uh, last week worked pretty well with the nostalgia we'll do an alternate history where uh, blackberry never disappeared and every phone had a keyboard <laughs> the way that god intended it yeah um but until then i hope you all have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you soon bye-bye bye take care